podcast is going to be coming out to you a little bit sooner than the Wally ratings. They'll be out later on today. There's my screen time telling me I was up 6% last week. So there you go. A little bit of a fact. Um, this was a horrible, horrible experience <laughs> to watch. Um, I'm still shook. Um, I, I, maybe I'll be still shook for a good long while, yes. Um, the final score here was, what, 24-28 to New Zealand. Ireland lost the quarterfinal of the Rugby World Cup once again, and we are on our way home. Today, actually. Monday. Um, not only that, it was Johnny Sexton's last game of rugby, um, and Keith Earls retired after the game also as well. So it's the end of an era, and I don't think we're done with the um, retirements or the guys who kind of had their last you know we'll say big time involvement with Ireland uh, in this game or in this tournament like first the emotions of it um I'll set the scene okay um it was my fiance's birthday last week um so I got her because she's back to work after maternity leave I got her this weekend um a trip to a lovely hotel the Europe in Killarney and uh, you know, because I thought it'd be nice after, you know, the the the, the week, maternity leave, everything, you know, all that. So I thought it'd be nice. So and it was nice, but obviously I knew that one, I'd be, I'd have my AIL work to do, which would be fine. She could go down to the lovely uh, spa facilities they have there, and then there'd be the match later on. Now, uh, my fiance loves rugby, loves sport, a massive hurling fan. She would she would be a a, a rugby fan, a monster fan, an Ireland fan as well um it's kind of almost mandatory at this stage <laughs> but you know like she would 100% watch rugby when it's on and we watched this game together now I had a good few points before the game itself got cracking because our little lady was um with us I had a few points with her downstairs and then we went up and we watched her the game in the room while she slept and we were both very very quiet um but the emotions of the game like beforehand, I was talking to two Welsh lads in um, the lounge area of the hotel. And they were convinced that Ireland were going to win. And as the week went on, I started to get convinced that Ireland would win. Like, I had my doubts. I had, like, certain issues with this team that I, I've, I've spoken about. Uh, the cohesion thing. How, you know, when it came to knockout rugby, how would we go relative to the other teams? That was a concern for this stage. But I thought that Ireland man for man were better and as the game played out um bear in mind though I had four or five points made this stage so I was well on let's say um watching the game play out that first quarter was a nightmare a nightmare I was um 
like I was thinking 2019 all over again like it was such a bad start like and I'll get to this in a minute as well like it was such a bad start like that we we bottled that right like Ireland are 100% in the next couple of, 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 of days even it's already out there that Ireland choked this game I don't think that's fully true but I also think there's something to it as well this was and I will include the other quarter final last night one of the highest level games of rugby you will ever see ever this game from a quality perspective was as good as you will ever see from an intensity perspective from a skill perspective this is the game that world rugby wanted to showcase at this world cup these are the laws that they have brought in to generate this game these games are a result of that the four best teams in the tournament were on one side of the draw it is what it is right so we would have had to have played the likes of new zealand the likes of france the likes of maybe south africa again anyway so whether it's the quarterfinal or the semi-final that makes no bones to me if we got to a semi-final and lost it that would feel just as bad for me because I, I don't get this thing about the quarterfinal curse if you either win the world cup or you don't win it and you know it's 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 immaterial for me really like yeah there's gonna be people online slagging or whatever else like who cares you know really but to lose it like that uh with that first quarter i know the players will look back at that and go we fucking bottled it without question and from there we were always on the back foot and then we managed to pull it back because this is a very very good irish team um we came back from what 13 nil down at one point um but like genuinely we were never in the lead in this game you know that alone will tell you that that is so unlike this irish team and like if we go inside the first 20 minutes like to be 13 points down as we were like that when that happens to this irish team like you stand up and you take notice because not like not to take anything away from new zealand they played really well obviously but some of the decision making some of the execution from this irish team we haven't seen that like yeah you saw a bit of it in the england game in the warm-up and you saw it a bit a bit against samoa but you haven't like they were mix and match teams you haven't seen this irish team like yeah look mac hansen and james Lowe didn't look 100 percent to me okay but everybody's coming into this with bumps and bruises maybe did we miss james ryan off the bench yes we did uh would he have started again that comes into the assumption as to whether you know ian henderson would have had such a poor game but you can't know that beforehand you can only go on who played well in the last game so they maybe would have started henderson anyway like we had almost a full deck to pick from and lost after what a six minute ball and play sequence at the end of the game where we went through 38 phases or whatever it was got turned over right at the end lads were getting the ball and they were fucking nearly falling over that's how wrecked they were losing that game is no shame at all right like so you can lose a game like france like i don't think anybody's gonna look at france and go oh they bottled that game last night they choked it there is an element of that in ireland as well where people i think it's from what i've seen it's mainly people in dublin with that kind of workman's smoking area vibe about them who seem to assume that everybody in rugby is their landlord 
Um, and, and this is kind of a thing. It's Maybe it's a Dublin-specific thing because, like, I was chatting a few lads here in Rakhil when we came back and, like, they were up watching that game up in, in Sullivan's and Rakhil and, like, th- this is not the leafy suburbs here. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is, like, this is West Limerick. There's no... Like, there's no <laughs> mass landlords here. I didn't see Leo Varadkar walking around up here. I didn't see Michal Martin dropping into the Rakhil and Spar. That's my territory. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, so there's this weird idea. And I, I think there's a lot of people revel in the idea that, you know, some posh people that they assume are the only ones who watch rugby are devastated by this. And look, at the, and, and that's fair enough. And I think those people then also want to say, oh, Ireland are chokers, Ireland are bottlers and stuff like that. And look, to a certain extent, Ireland can't refute that because this is the only tournament they pay attention to, right? And we've lost the quarterfinal stage every single time we've played. And it doesn't matter that this was an incredibly high-level game where somebody had to lose, be it the All Blacks or ourselves. A bit like the same way that that game last night between the Springboks and France was so good, so intense, so dramatic. Someone has to lose. So someone's going home. And it it turns out that it's it's France. Not that they don't have far to go, but you know what I mean. It's like it's it's one of those things where when the games are that high level, you just have to accept that someone's gonna win and someone's gonna lose. There are fine margins to it. And going too far because again I saw an interesting thing last night where because again, there is there is that and I'm not gonna go too much into it because, you know, I'm I, I my rant not rant, well yeah, rant about um zombie a couple of weeks ago people were just kind of like why even give it airtime but just look here um i saw a, a point last night from somebody who a mutual on, on twitter actually who is um he is uh in in works in sport andrew cunine good guy uh interesting guy um he was speaking here about the irish team uh, and about the the expectation levels and why there isn't a whole lot of bitter recrimination after the the world cup here's a here's a, a, a point from somebody who isn't made in fully good faith right but but i think it's interesting all the same absolutely convinced that ireland would have won this world cup and probably more if they were subjected to the same letter of bitter recriminations that the soccer team gets rugby post-mortems are at the level of giving a child a medal for finishing last in the egg and spoon race and then uh, this poster here andrew said i really think the biggest issue so many have with the irish rugby is that there's just a real lack of upset and annoyance from the fan base when there's constant failure on the only stage that really matters. Now, I would I would argue with that, but if this is the level of a fallout, the pre-match furore is totally hollow. Um, First of all, I think if you're going to compare to Irish soccer, what have bitter recriminations done for Irish soccer in the last 20 years? I would say absolutely nothing. Because um, again, I watch Irish soccer. <laughs> I watch the Premier League. I, I watch all these sports. I watch hurling. I've commentated on hurling, on, on football in just in the last two weeks. So this idea that bitter recrimination by fans equals investment, um, I think that is sometimes almost for the entertainment of non-fans more than anything else. Like, I think anybody who watches that game will understand that, look, it was an incredibly high-level game of rugby. Someone's got to lose it. Now, Ireland did, but, like, at the same time, what does you know, lads losing their head in newspaper columns and fellas going mad on the radio, what does that achieve? Do you know? Like, what, what, what is achieved by that? What's the, what's the end game here? Would the guys who lost this game from an Irish perspective, would they be any more likely to win it if they were afraid of some 
columnist at home losing the plot. Like, no, this, that's not how this sport works. That's not how any elite sport works, really. You Like, you have your own goals. You have your own, like, the, the goals of the team that you're there. And you're doing it for your fans, as in the people who are there to support you. Not the people who you're afraid are going to fucking lose the plot on Liveline if you don't win the game in the aftermath. So that th- that gives you some idea of the thinking as to why some of those people don't like rugby and why they don't like Irish rugby. But I think at the same time, we can say that, yeah, look, did Ireland bottle elements of this game? Yes, I do. And I do think as well that there is criticism to be had of the coaching staff and of some of the senior players in this game as well. I think that we can appreciate that they left nothing out there. They were not wanting for one bit of effort or desire to go out there to try to win this game. They came up against an All Blacks team playing the best rugby they've played, I would say, since the 2015 World Cup. They showed up. They had a referee where a few decisions went against Ireland. That hurt our ability to play our natural game exactly the way that we play it. Look, that happens sometimes. You have to take that on the chin. But at the same time, I think Ireland will look back at this game and look at a few key areas. The opening 20 minutes, how we managed elements of our our, our first phase defence, our line-out, some of the performances from our big players. And we we look back and we go, we left that game behind us. And the biggest thing that caught me yesterday morning, now remember, when Ireland got turned over there at that at the end of that six minute you know sequence of on ball rugby like my my, my fiance was with me she said when they, when Ireland got the ball back she said we're going to win it and I could feel the moment building it felt like one of those moments and as it went on it just felt that we missed one or two big moments where ball had to go and then didn't and then we were kind of just building it back up again New Zealand started to get more and more comfortable like when I saw Ty Byrne getting the ball and he was just nearly fucking just keeled over like this is the level of of intensity that we're at at this point and when Sam Whitelock uh turned over like you know there was an inaccurate clean but like Joe McCarthy honestly I thought he did really well coming off the bench young player like that at that moment you know there was another guy involved there as well I think it was was it Caelan Doris was was involved trying to clean out as well didn't work that's kind of look it's part and parcel of 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 the game and we were gutted like gutted i couldn't really talk afterwards i was just like again because you know the points don't help either you know but yesterday morning i woke up and i just felt shit you know but like the little girl was up and she said dad 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 for the first time so i'm like that's really cool um but yeah we kind of started just walking around and going to have some breakfast and then set, set about going home and watch those games last night and I just couldn't really bring myself to kind of talk about the game I wanted to think about it and I wanted to watch it back again in full and I did that and then I did it again and the more I watched it back the kind of the the disappointment kind of fell away because it'd be something else if we just flat out weren't good enough to win that game and we came in and we spoofed it it didn't happen that didn't happen Okay, we were more than good enough to win that game, and we honestly we should have won that game. My biggest takeaway from it is that if Ireland had had the performance that we would normally get from our halfbacks and a little bit more accuracy in that first twenty minutes, we would have won this game. And elements of that come down to New Zealand winning big early moments, which changed up our approach so like 
Ireland have a way to approach a game, okay? Like so we we begin a game in a certain in a certain pattern. And with that pattern, we're able to dictate to the opposition how the game proceeds. I spoke before the game about how Ireland need to take the impetus in this game. We didn't, okay? We straight away early on conceded the penalty off the off the kickoff. A silly penalty from Andrew Porter, who has had a great tournament and has actually had a fantastic year for the most part. Um, a really silly penalty that let New Zealand into our territory early, and that kind of set the tone for we we weren't really able to attack that opening five minutes in the way that we typically would. Now we had a fantastic defensive sequence there that honestly showed a lot a lot of what we're good at, but that let New Zealand in. They scored three points. That was a little win in and of itself, but we just really like you look at a lot of the metrics that were there, right? A lot of this is unlike Ireland. So even inside that first 20 minutes, we had a number of 22 entries that we just, we, 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 we wasted. There was moments where, you'll remember this, where off a line-out, where typically Ireland are so structured and there's so much clarity from everybody involved, where we were looking confused, where Gibson Park turns around, he hits an isolated Josh Vanderfleer, who was only just back up off the ground after a clear-out hits him and he gets turned over and there was nobody with him. How often have you seen that happen to this Irish team? Never. And I went back and I looked. My initial thought was, Gibson Park. <laughs> He's fucked it up. <laughs> but I went back and the, the usual clarity you'd expect from Sexton wasn't there. He ran a line and I think he expected a pullback from Bundy because you could see afterwards he was kind of waving his hands, kind of going, what the fuck? And then on the next phase the normal clarity from him wasn't there. And, I don't know, watching this game from Sexton, it just seemed like he aged overnight. Do you know? Like, up until this point, he's looked really, really good. And I, I, and I will say this. There's a criticism that I, I, I got from a guy on direct message last night that said that Irish rugby in the last 10, you know, 20 years has over-focused on the likes of Brian O'Driscoll and Johnny Sexton when they've come to the end of their career that they've been given almost sacred cow status where they're untouchable there's no question about their level and they're almost given too much of a swan song there's too much there's too much focus put on them they're only part of the team even they might be captain they might be an important player but it shouldn't just be about them and what they're good at and to an extent you could say that that is true because like we've seen over the last two or three years it for me it's felt that Ireland have been in a kind of almost holding their breath to get Johnny from the 2019 World Cup to this World Cup once it became clear that he had actually more in the tank. Because I remember around 2019, the talk was, well, that's probably Johnny Sexton's last World Cup. I mean, you would just assume it was. People don't play up to the age of 38, right? Dan Carter, one of the, like, honestly, the greatest fly half that's ever played the game, I think. He retired at 34, 35. And like at that World Cup, he was slowing down. Like he did not look like the Dan Carter of old. Still a really good player, obviously. This was back in 2015. But not the same guy that we had come to expect. And I think he played a few years afterwards, but was far from the same player. And, you know, I think he retired at, what, 34? So like you look at that and go, Sexton in 2019 was around the same age. So you're thinking, well, you know, that that's Johnny's last World Cup. And then kind of then COVID came in and it just felt that 
that year or whatever it was out of the game wherever nobody was training nobody was playing that seemed to extend Johnny's kind of playing career a little bit more than than maybe it would have been had he been playing and like once it became clear from around two years out that Sexton unless he got a catastrophic injury was going to be playing at the 2023 World Cup it seemed that we went okay all in on that and I, and I understand why as well because I was thinking about it yesterday driving back up the Killarney to Limerick Road and I was thinking of just how high level that game was and how when you're playing like a community level or grassroots level or whatever else you have your job which is you know might be pop the ball off a rock just carry the fucking ball or a scrummage or whatever it is right but the level of detail and the level of intensity and physicality that's required even for like you know like at any at for any position in the modern game at the elite level it's almost bewildering to consider it and you you have it all played out all with these massive stakes and the pressure that that, that they're under as well and to have like to be a leader on top of all that so you've got your, your own job you've got your own like you've got your own uh we'll say uh, thought process that you've got to do in your own game but to be a leader you kind of have to bring others along with you as well they're so valuable and they're so important to have guys who have that charisma who have that ability to go out there and and to to bring guys with them and bring them along and you some guys have it very very young i mean peter romani certainly did uh paul o'connell did johnny sexton kind of grew into that role um because his career has been remarkable i'll speak a bit more about him in a minute but like having guys who have that aura about them are invaluable because they're level raisers they buff other fellas levels so you might be you know five percent better because you're playing with johnny sexton okay you might be six or seven percent better because you're playing alongside peter romani because he's got the mental capacity to take a lot of the load off you so that you can just play your game as it is you don't have to think about anything else except your own game that's the value of leaders and experienced players and i think and when i look at it and go well jesus why do they look at sexton from you know two years out should they should they not have been investing in carberry more starting him in you know three of every six nations games and 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 making it like a 1a and 1b situation now one sexton was in or carberry was injured to be fair at that point after the world cup so that changed their focus as well and they didn't have any real mass in billy burns they didn't have any mass in Ross Byrne either at the time. So I think th- th- that to an extent is excusable. But since then, I think that when they agreed that Sexton was going to be the guy going forward, I think they did that from around two and a half years out. That's just what you've settled with. And that's the end of it. And like, if you know, you can go, oh, look, they should have fucking started Jack Crowley and brought him in and stuff like that. It was, almost, it was too late for that. With the way that this team were playing, that it, the, the timing just didn't work out. And sometimes that happens because you have guys who you, you want to bring in. They're your top guys or you feel your top prospects. You, do, you, you look to expose them because the levels at this, at this, you know, this area of the game, like test level at this level is rugby like you've never seen. So the levels that are here are just unbelievable. And for a guy like Sexton, he's driven a lot of that. The standards he's driven. You get like, you know, like the likes of Peter Romani, the likes of Keith Earls. You know, the likes of, of um, you know, even Ian Henderson, you know, Tyg Byrne, guys like that who are, um, you know, they have that quality and they have that experience. The likes of Furlong, Murray, Connor Murray as well. 
So when you have guys like that, they are invaluable. And this Irish team was hugely experienced. So they know what the crack is. They are able to go and play at this level and they can bring guys along with them. And I think for a 10 in particular, Johnny Sexton has seen it all, right? The only thing he hasn't seen is a World Cup semi-final to play in it, right? So you have that, uh, you know, the number of games he's played, the number of high-level situations he's been in. That experience is invaluable because it just allows a lot of guys like Johnny will just run everything. And that's kind of still the way it is. It's not the same where it was in, we'll say, 2019, where literally everything went through Johnny Sexton. Now it more rotates around Johnny rather than going through him, which is still, you know, a very high level of importance. But at the same time, it does give you a feel of of how we have tried to evolve. And this is still Johnny's team, without question. It's set up for what he's good at. But I think in this game, it looked like a game too far. And I'm not sure whether he was injured coming in or whether he had a few knocks, a, little, you know, a few too many. But it, it definitely seemed to me that there was um, like his normal like ability to see things on the field wasn't there to the same level. Because again, this, this was always going to be a game where you have to take your chances. And Ireland normally do take our chances. But there's one stat here that stands out to me. New Zealand had 6.22 entries and they scored 3.6 points per entry. We had 15 entries, 15, double, more than double. And we only scored 1.4 points on average in those visits, which is well below our our yearly average of 2.7. If we just scored our average the way we normally play, we win this game. And that's the sickening thing about it. I think that's when they look back at it and go, they bottled it. And like, I think it's better to say that we fucking let that game slide and we bottled the moment rather than go, well, well, look, we were never good enough. I think they look back at this and they'll go, we should have fucking won that. They converted way better than us in the 22. Um, They were way more accurate there. But like defensively i think like that that that's where their biggest their biggest um their biggest strength was here like they won more turnovers in the tackle they won more turnovers full stop uh they tackled way more than we did but like it just uh, the rock speed as well they brought us down to 59% completion under 3 seconds which again we've actually played slower this year and still won but they won some crucial breakdown penalties which were a massive massive part of this um, and a massive part of their win and like I think like to go back to that opening 20 minutes I think the biggest thing that it did was that it allowed New Zealand to play their game with comfort and it panicked us that's the big thing I think that'll, that that we look back on and go we fucking we, we like we panicked we panicked in this game Um, and I go back and look and I will say this some of these numbers were um, buffed by the uh, last phase that Ireland played which went for 6 minutes and there was 38 phases so that does bump this a little bit because again look there's 30 phases that's 30 rocks so there's 30 carries there as well so that that does buff a little bit but it, it, it will illustrate right New Zealand uh, they like they, like their kick to pass ratio right because this is something I found quite interesting as a, as a style guide for teams they played at 1.42. So basically, they kicked the ball every 4.2 passes, which is 
counter transition level at the lower end of counter transition where they were able to play with impetus so we had the ball they, like they kicked the ball to us and we had more possession in our uh, we'll say between our 50 our 50 meter line and our 22 than they did just slightly but the fact that they were able to kick more and uh, some of those kicks are chips over the top which I did, again I did cover in the in the green eye before the game but we did not kick the ball to the same level that we needed to um, our level and remember I, this number is buffed I'm going to find an exact number but it'll give you an, an illustration as to how off scheme we went we kicked the ball once every 16.3 passes which is the highest ratio we have had in two years so it is not our game we are not a team built to play those types of phases because we are rarely in a position where we need to do so and it seemed that early in this game we panicked when we were down on the scoreboard and we lost three and then we lost six and then we went down the line to try and get right back into the game instead of taking three at the time because i was langers i thought this was a great idea because <laughs> i'm all about get it down the line <laughs> punish them um but we we turned it over because our line out again our line out was so poor and like because we didn't play our base game our line out hurt us even though we had more line outs like we, we had uh, 18 i think in total no we had 15 line outs in total for 87 percent completion but we missed the important ones so we had plenty of line outs to work with but because we were so off scheme in other areas of our game we weren't able to to, to take advantage in the way that we normally would throw in the scrum uh where we there was only what there was four scrums no five scrums um and like we conceded the penalty on three of them um that's a that, like that hurts as well so honestly i think looking at how we wanted to to affect the all blacks like i said before the game that we want to have the majority of the all blacks possession in their q2 area of the field so we wanted them to have the majority of their possession in between their 22 and the halfway line instead where was it it was between the halfway line and our 22 which is where they're most dangerous and where they concede or where they score an awful lot of points and just stress you repeatedly and again look 50 percent of ireland's possession was in the same zone but again inefficiency blown cleanouts, and again new zealand were very good at the breakdown yeah they rolled their luck a small bit but you have to do that we'll be disappointed and gutted that we blew so many opportunities at when we're normally in an area where we're so good where physically we backed off and did not look the same level team that we have been for the last two years and when people say oh they bottled it that's what they're talking about that's what they're talking about like we had 11 turnovers new zealand had three but they played so efficiently they didn't really they didn't need to overplay they took their points when they were on offer and we didn't and we made some key mistakes like you know the, the, like the try that Ardi Savea scored no not, not Ardi Savea whoever it was scored it like New Zealand's first try we have conceded we have scored off that exact same movement in this tournament where somebody kicks long down the field aimlessly and it's run back and they score in a, one or two phases in post transition afterwards like we do that two teams that happened to us here and once we went 13-0 down, you could tell, like, we didn't panic. We came right back into the game. 
we just never were able to get that extra step where we'd be able to get, you know, really pressurize them and a few, a few missed opportunities. But again, with all that said, there's a universe where Ronan Kelleher stays in his feet two steps longer and he runs right over the top of Jordy Barrett, scores a, a try, Ireland win one of the games of the century and we're into a semi-final. That's the small margins, Jordy Barrett. A one in a thousand play. And like honestly, when you see a fella pulling that out, you just have to go, fuck it, not our day. But except at the same time, when you are in this situation that it doesn't just happen like we were more than good enough to win that game and I think that that's what will stick in our craw afterwards that it was all there for us we had the firepower to win even with those you know little swing sliding door moments at the end you know Sexton's penalty goes a meter to the left rather than a meter to the right you look at like I said Ronan Kelleher there being a few centimeters away from getting it all that's true but at the same time I feel that there's a bit of a rebuild coming with this team and we'll need to look at a different way of playing in the longer term I think um, I think we saw elements of from our perspective here how counter transition now New Zealand won playing counter transition but if we keep going off scheme when the pressure comes on then it's going to be very very difficult to sustain because one of the things with counter transition is and when Ireland are very very good like it's trusting that when you kick the ball you'll get it back in a better position than what you currently have it in now element like that is a gamble to a certain extent and New Zealand rolled the dice here uh, but it came up on top and they were able to roll the dice from a, a position by the way where they were never losing okay so th- that adds to it also but I feel that watching it back one right our back row outplayed for the most part um, people would kind of fall down around provincial lines when it starts when, when the blame starts to come out from around from, from this but I felt our back five overall wasn't great like they've been really good all, all tournament didn't have a great game here um, our front row as well like Furlong looked a little tired Sheehan some of his throwing he's been so good all year and then this game the throwing starts to get a little bit inaccurate because you know and look there was a lot of counter counter jump pressure as well but some of his throws I felt were a bit off not just the jump the throw was a little bit off nervous there was that the back five like I thought Peter Romani his breakdown numbers are through the roof okay but look people who have their mind made up about Omani have it made up his breakdown numbers were colossal for this game some of the biggest I've put I, I, I've seen for him um, now I'll be I'll be doing that in more detail during the week but from my first couple of watch throughs it looks like she keeps showing up and again and again with dominant cleans over and over again Um, his line out work basically just stabilised our game like it like, like he did against South Africa and like he did here um, and to the point where Van der Fleer, who normally pulls 80 minutes, we had to take him off because his performance level was so far below what we typically associate with Josh Van der Fleer. The thing is, if he wasn't a great player, you wouldn't hold him to that standard. But you look at Caelan Doris, I mean, again, you'll see my star ratings are coming out later on. Like, he was just, like, this was just a poor game from him. 
and it reminded me of when Leinster lost to La Rochelle where yeah started great but once that game settled in after that opening 20 minutes these guys just kind of fell into the background a little bit you could say the same thing for for Gibson Park and for and for Sexton who I felt honestly I just I just felt their their understanding that's normally so good wasn't there Gibson Park scored a try yeah but the rest of his game he just looked hurried he looked a little panicked the same kind of calmness that he normally would play with wasn't there now the pass quality for me is always a bit up and down but there was one there where he snatched at, at the, the, the second half where he went back Arlo went to a kind of a, a hit one in and then looked to try to hit back to the isolation so they left Peter Romani on the wing right on the touchline and the gimmick was that they wanted to isolate him on Aaron Smith right so they did they, they did that twice once with a kick and then once with a pass but like the pass just wasn't accurate enough and it's like he's snatching at these moments and you don't typically associate that with Jemison Gibson Park and like as as the game went on it just felt that I felt early that we know what can we need we need to make a change there and then with Sexton like he was still picking his passes really well at the end but if you go back and watch it New Zealand had no respect for his ball carrying anymore like he was standing still on some of those he was chop stepping but the movement levels that we, like he's normally his movement is pretty good but like this was a massive 41 minute 38 second ball in playtime game by the way which is colossal one of the biggest Ireland that played but you look at Sexton he was so involved and we had so much possession that by the end he had very little left and for me he shouldn't have been in the field at the same time I can understand why the coach left him on the field because they have a great relationship and Andy Farrell is a great players coach so he understands that for a great like Johnny Sexton, the captain, guy held in such high regard by that by by the, by the group. You let him on the field. You let him on the field, and look, there's sentiment involved in that. But look, coaching involves a bit of sentiment as well. I would have found a way to got Jack to get Jack Crowley on the bench, um, because again, there's a sliding door moment there where, um, Ireland just need a drop goal, in the Stade of France to win a quarter final. With the clock in the red after 30-something phases. We've seen that story before. But we were four points back instead of one. And look, that's kind of the reality of it. Um, a few people as well about Conor Murray's penalty. Um, well, maybe Conor shouldn't have had his arm over over Jordy Barrett. But it was 100% a dive for me. Look, you roll the dice. You take your punishment one way or the other. Um, but it was a dive. But look, it, it just, again, we didn't lose because of that. Um so it's it's just one of those things where we'll be just so devastated that we didn't do ourselves justice. This team has played better. This team, I think, is far better than what we saw in this game, as high level as it was. If we played to our level, we would have won this game. And I think we would have won it by five, ten points. But a few small things went against us. Then we started to go off scheme. And then, it, 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 like, when I speak about the scheme, right? I'm looking at the carries here. I have 173 carries. Now, typically, that we don't expect to see that from an Irish perspective. We don't expect to see that type of, of possession breakdown, right? So, like, our, our pass per carry rate was absolutely colossal. We had 1.8 passes per carry. Which is <laughs> massive. On a kick per pass ratio, like I said, one kick every 16 passes. Exhausting. On ball rugby, we are not built 
to play that game. And like one of the things I'll say about Kalen Doris is his selection is perfect for counter transition because he's incredibly fit. It means that he doesn't have to load up for 15, 20 carries a game. He doesn't really have to do that because nobody in Ireland really has to do that in, in this system usually. Because when we do see him, and we've seen it in this World Cup, that for some reason, that ball comes squirting out of his hands way too often for a player of his level. And I think, again, a part of that is because, well, we rarely see that because it's rare he's in a position where, oh, he knocks the ball on because he's rarely he's rarely carrying with that volume. And again, I think that goes in here that we were playing a game that ultimately didn't suit the fellas we had in the field because, again, this Irish team, it's based on defensive grit, which we have. We have defensive grit. Like, that missed tackle uh, for the, the ultimately what would be the, like the defining try on first phase Dan Sheehan and Josh van der Fleer would have nightmares over that um, for me Dan Sheehan needs to push out on Mwanga he got frozen in place because he saw all the space inside him and he didn't he thought if, if that goes inside to Will Jordan or whatever then we're, we'll be bust right up the middle um, it was a good scheme by New Zealand but they basically Dan Sheehan and, and Josh van der Fleer. Dan Sheehan for me needs to trust that Tygburn is going to close that gap on the inside and he needs to just shoot out Amonga because basically that, like, that's how Ireland defend. And when he jockeyed that left van der Fleer with just a little bit too much to do, Moonga broke through the middle and there you go. So it's, it's tough. Like I think looking back if Ireland played counter-transition the way we know we can, I think we win this game. But how we react under the pressure of the biggest game a lot of these guys would have played in their entire lives, it's unpredictable. And that was certainly the case here where it was not predictable that Caelan Doris and Josh van der Fleer and Gibson Park and even Sexton himself would have poor games. But that's what happened. Like, Tyg Byrne was average didn't have a great game by his standards Henderson was poor for me um, Sheen the line out throwing let him down and he was a, f- a fucking fingertip away from getting a, a, a cross kick from Mac Hansen that game would have changed the game I thought Bundyak he was fabulous Gary Ringrose fantastic as well a guy who I'd look at as, as, a, as a potential captain actually afterwards um, because he's just so important to what Ireland do um, Hugo Keenan had a great game uh you know like again look there were there were there were decent performances but ultimately when they look back at this Ireland are going to think we fucked this away the firepower was in the room and we let it go and if you want to see that as as bottling you can if you want to see it as pressure getting to this team in the biggest game of the year I think that's fair to say as well at some point but at the same time you can't question their effort you can't question the determination they played with. You can't question the quality of the game. And like nobody lets anything out there. Um, certainly the way that they played out. Lads run, ran themselves into the ground. Went out in their shields but went out all the same. Another quarterfinal exit. Um, it is what, you know, I've said it, it is what it is. I wish it wasn't what it was. But it is. And I think that, you know, going forward... 
will be there will be changes and what changes that will come with that we don't know but we know that Johnny Sexton won't be amongst them he's retired now and I must say it was upsetting to see on Saturday night um, him going out that way obviously visibly upset kind of couldn't really believe it as well I think partly partly as well he'd look at himself and you know be blaming himself some of those things that he'll sit like they'll sit with him for the rest of his life Um, because what a competitor you know you look at this guy when he broke through had zero respect for me when he broke through not, not that he gives a shit but you know what I mean he came through and he wasn't the guy who you were straight away thinking oh yeah this guy's a a future great at a game <laughs> yeah I didn't certainly didn't think that when I remember seeing Johnny Sexton playing for the first time but then he just grew and grew and grew and took all these big moments and energized himself and internalized them and became bigger off the back of them as well. Like his career from when he broke through relatively late, by the way, was what, 24? When he broke through like that, it, it, it and to go from the trajectory he went to, coming off the bench in a Heineken Cup semi-final, roaring at Ronan O'Gara, winning a fucking Heineken Cup then a few weeks later as a starting 10 going on to play for Ireland get his start then for the main Irish team against South Africa the year later and go on the run that he went on where every single trophy of conf- of, of consequence that Leinster Rugby have won in the last couple of years the last we'll say every Heineken Cup they've won Johnny Sexton has started at 10 the big massive run they've gone on it's been when Johnny was there, when Johnny was that guy. The only major trophy that they won when he wasn't there in the last couple of years was when he was in Racing, and I think they won a, a, a Celtic League or whatever it was, or Rabo, whatever. Um, but everything else has had Johnny Sexton stamp all over it. And in Ireland, there was a time when we couldn't train if Johnny wasn't there. And I remember, like, he only really became the main man for sure around 2011-2012, after the 2011 World Cup. He's been on Lions Tour, but arguably could have been on a Lions Tour, another one. Um, but you look at what he's brought to Irish rugby, the levels he's he's gone with, because as much as Joe Schmidt has changed Irish rugby um, for the better, he was able to do that in part because of Johnny Sexton as well. Their relationship as as a coach and as a you know as 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 a ten was without question a huge benefit for Ireland because they both fed into each other's idea of the game the standards that Johnny Sexton had look you either fit in or you fucked off at, at, at the Ireland camp with Johnny Sexton there the way that he ran that camp it, like that in itself it creates high standards and you might not like him but he doesn't require you to like him he just requires you to play to your best and I think that that's the, the thing about Johnny Sexton is that at Leinster you hate his guts <laughs> right but you like that's exactly how it should be because you you don't hate the fellas who are rubbish you love them you love seeing those guys never like seeing Johnny Sexton taking the field against Munster and I think a lot of the heat that Johnny got I saw some very fucking unhinged let's say reactions to Johnny Sexton from Scott, Scottish Twitter as well of course Scotland hate him he's beaten them every fucking time provincially internationally Johnny Sexton doesn't lose against Scotland and they know he knows that and look I think the fact that a few people felt the need to go over the top on him as he was retiring is just the greatest reflection you could have as to how good he actually was 
Because again, you don't hate the guys who are rubbish. You love them. You love the fellas in the other team who are shit. You love seeing them on the team on the team sheet. Nobody likes seeing Johnny Sexton on the team sheet because you knew there was a fucking game and a half coming your way. And like he did that almost every time. And like, do you know, I think you look at how he went from being undesirable to undeniably generational talent in the last group. It's honestly you you just appreciate that for the quality and the character that you have to have to play that way and he will be missed like he leaves a massive void in Irish rugby because the great personalities always do O'Gara O'Driscoll O'Connell O'Sexton they leave a massive gap that is not easily filled and like that that like that is also true with Leinster um like there's lots of guys there younger players they were playing with their fucking childhood hero almost because every great moment that Leinster Rugby be associated with at at, at the European level Johnny Sexton was there for it he was playing with a living legend it's like fucking playing with one of those like megalodons that you know somehow survived the you know great extinctions that's the kind of level of player Johnny Sexton was and that's gonna like that voice leaving the room that's massive because like even if he's not playing and he, he like his his playing for Leinster over the last couple of years fluctuated up and down but you look at the quality that he brought almost every time he played for Ireland like one of the greatest careers there'll ever be and like I said before with, with Johnny Sexton that like the, all the comparisons to Wagara I think is still locked in that early you know early 20 or late tw- 2000s feud that kind of came off the back of it but honestly I think one doesn't exist without the other and O'Gara set the foundations but Sexton built something very special on top of him and I think that that is probably the fairest and best way I can describe Sexton is that he was able to take what that great Irish team of the 2000s built and push it on again to the next level because that 2000s team took Ireland from being Italy plus wooden spoon artists to a different level Johnny Sexton as the main man at 10 took Ireland to another level again number one in the world beating the All Blacks you know that that kind of thing that's important and maybe the next guy is the fellow who takes us to the next level again but it doesn't happen without those guys it doesn't happen without those level raisers and Johnny Sexton was a level raiser of every team he played in be that Leinster or Ireland maybe not Racing but certainly Leinster or Ireland he raised levels beyond what I think anybody could have dreamed of when he was coming through in 2008-2009 I think that's that's uh, that's about what you can say about him a great I hope he enjoys his retirement because he's certainly fucking earned a 38 years of age my god like I can't even I'm, I'm 41 I'm only 3 years older than this guy and like uh, I'm groaning bending over this guy is out there getting smashed by fucking Ardy Savea. Um, but yeah, and then you look at Keith Earls also was confirmed that he retired afterwards. He never had the same fanfare as the likes of, of Sexton or the likes of O'Driscoll. I still remember actually that inflatable fucking thing with Brian O'Driscoll's face in it uh, that they had at the Aviva, which was mad when you think back about it. Um, but I think he's every bit as important. Um, Keith Earls for me is the best winger Ireland have ever produced. You might think, oh, what about? No. Keith Earls is better. 
and the career he's had uh, from you know from Munster to to Ireland, the legend that th- that is this guy, how beloved he is in Ireland camp in Munster camp. It's I'm actually still sickened that he's actually retired that he that we won't get another year out of him, because he was still performing at a high level. You could say yeah, look, he'd slowed down on certain aspects of him of, of his game for sure. But the quality was still there. Go back to the, the earlier this year. Look at how he performed in that URC final. Where he won his trophy with Munster. And got to lift that trophy. Knowing that, knowing now he's retired. That makes that moment even better for me. I think back and I think back even more fondly on that now. The last thing he ever did in a Munster jersey. Was win a trophy. And you look at. Again the old, the old man in the young man's game. That's Keith Earls on the wing. Um, I I love he got his 101 caps. I love how and again Andy Farrell, and again look I, we said the same thing. You might say look would he been better off putting that into some somebody else like Jimmy O'Brien? Maybe, maybe, but Andy Farrell is a player's coach, so he understands it's important for Keith Earls to get his hundred. That's important to this group. Like we might be. 1% better on the field because we gave a few minutes extra to this guy but the group will be fucking 10% bigger because we got that moment for Keith Earls and you look at how Keith Earls has kind of he bust onto the scene right the kid back in 2008 well, no 2007-2008 where you uh, you hear about Keith Earls but this guy is fucking he's magic this guy midfielder winger fullback he played in all three of those spots really in the early part of his career but you hear him coming through and all you hear about him this guy is fucking brilliant and then because the monster team at the time you know was filled with so many veterans when you see keith earls involved with those guys you must thinking fuck how much how, how good must this kid be if he's playing with these guys and he took god a lot of slack throughout, throughout his career where he was you know, an outside centre, had a great season there, didn't really back it up at the Lions because he was so ridiculously young. Then there was this weird backlash to him because he was playing in Brian O'Driscoll's career and when Brian O'Driscoll was coming to the end of his career and Keith Earls was obviously starting and, and kind of, you know, emerging as a player, there was that sort of negative where people tried to stamp him down. Oh, he's not good, he's no good. Um, And then injuries hit him. And in the midpoint of his career, he had so many injuries that that took him like took him out of so many games for and like extended periods of time i think he admitted afterwards it's because he was playing too heavy that he needed to play at you know a certain weight to play in midfield and uh when he slimmed back we got some of the best rugby of keith earl's career and i'd say his run from we'll say 2015 20 or 2020 2016 we'll say to last season is some of the best rugby you'll ever see from a winger. Turned himself into the complete package where he was rock solid defensively, outstanding in the air, devastating in attack, an outstanding finisher, which he's always been. One of the quickest men going. Like And again, part of the reason why you have a guy like that in the backfield and why you select him for this World Cup, even at the age he's at, that experience, that the pictures he's seen as a winger and as a midfielder over his what? I'm not even going to try and count it because my my maths are terrible. 
15 year career. I'm going to say, I'm going <laughs> to that's my, they're the numbers I came to. That, that is like, that experience is not easily got a bit like Sexton. If you have a fellow who has that much experience, but he's still able to perform on the field at this level, he has to be involved. And it's the same for, for Earls. Like the, the minutes he played, he did well in. Yeah, he was coming to the, obviously to the end of his career, obviously. But I can only wish him the best because, you know, there's the personal mental health struggles that he's mentioned as well, which resonate really powerfully with me, that he was able to play to such a high level and be involved in such a, a tense, you know, occasion as high level sport and still perform um, with, with that, you know, the bipolar, the, the, the mental health issues he had, you know, it's hugely inspiring to me. And when he came out and spoke about that so openly on the late, late, that time, straight away, he helped so many people beyond what he can even imagine. Because they think straight away, if Keith Earls is dealing with that, like, he's shown me that, fuck it, I can be like him. I can, I can, I can get through this as well. I just need to get help like he did. That's the, that, like, that, that, like, that, 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 that's the thing about Keith Earls that, goes beyond what he did in the rugby field that to me is very very special so he will be missed that's a big character gone out of Munster rugby big character gone out of Irish rugby and again as with Sexton I can only wish him the very best and I hope after that weekend you're doing doing okay as well because I know we shouldn't let these sports teams ruin our lives but sometimes they do and I felt really devastated after this game and hungover as well really fucking hungover but devastated as well and gutted because the worst thing was that we were good enough to win it. We were good enough to win the whole thing. And that's what we're going to have to let burn. Every insult, every slight that comes the way now, you're going to look at it and you're going to go, fuck that, but leave it, leave it go. It doesn't matter. I think all that matters is that the crowd really bought into this Irish team in a way they haven't done before. The fans, the Irish public. Hopefully that'll keep going even with this loss. I think... Because this game was so tight and the game itself was so good, I think the vibes will still stay positive in that it was such a highly entertaining game and a dramatic, like unbelievable to watch game that the negativity, I think, will, will it'll be hard to throw at them. Some will try, obviously, because all, all they have in their lives is negativity. But I think in the long term, it'll still hurt, but... I think you'll remember it more positively than what maybe I do right now. I think we'll remember it a little bit more fondly because, yeah, look, out in the quarters again, fuck it, 2027, four years away. I hope I'll see you all again then. I'll be seeing you later on this week, but I hope at this World Cup coming up in 2027, we can maybe go a bit further. And that's the challenge awaiting this team now. It'll be a new team. Johnny's not making this World Cup. Neither is a few of the guys who we've come to associate with Ireland over the last 10 years. So it's a new Ireland. That, there's a challenge. That's a big challenge coming. So we will wait and see. But yeah, I, I, I think that it's gutting. I'll look into the details of it. I've got a lot of articles coming on that this week. And of course, I'm at a press conference tomorrow. Munster versus the Sharks. This weekend in Thoman Park. I'm going to be in Thoman Park for this one. And we're going to... Uh, Get the URC defending champions off to a good start. Thank you very much for joining me. I, I hope you recover after that weekend. We've got main event monster coming up this week, so that'll get you right back onto an even keel. 
Thank you very much for joining me. I'll talk to you again very, very soon.